Dueling Neural Networks at ICML, Training Your Future Robotic Housekeeper, and Who Wants a Magic Pony? All that and more on This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Hello and welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI the podcast where I bring you the week's most interesting and important stories from the world of machine learning and artificial intelligence. I'm Sam Charrington, and today is Friday, June 24th, 2016. Hello, everyone, and happy Friday. Welcome to the podcast. There's tons to talk about this week, so let's jump right in. This was a big week for the machine learning research community, as the 33rd Annual International Conference on Machine Learning, or ICML, took place in New York City. Now, I wasn't able to attend, but about 3,000 of my closest friends were. Yep, you heard that right. This was a huge conference. There were over 1,300 papers submitted, with only 332 of those accepted by the conference. As you can imagine, with so many papers accepted, the conference covers quite a bit of ground. Researchers from a host of academic and commercial institutions presented on novel approaches to solving problems with deep learning, reinforcement learning, ensemble learning, neural networks, Bayesian methods, and many more approaches than I'm familiar with. One question that I had was, what organizations were represented at ICML? Well, it turns out somebody else was curious about this and tweeted out the answer, at least as far as it concerns the major consumer internet companies that are involved in machine learning research. Google had 20 papers accepted to the conference, Microsoft Research, 18, IBM, 6, Facebook, 5, Amazon, 3, Baidu Research, 2, Metamind, which is now owned by Salesforce.com, 2, and Yahoo, 2. As is customary for research conferences, outstanding papers were recognized with a Best Paper Award. This year, three papers were selected. The first of these, called Dual Network Architectures for Deep Reinforcement Learning, is by researchers at Google DeepMind, and we'll spend a little bit of time talking about this one in a moment. A second set of Google DeepMind researchers picked up an award for their paper on Pixel Recurrent Neural Networks. And finally, a team from Stanford won an award for their paper, Ensuring Rapid Mixing and Low Bias for Asynchronous Gibbs Sampling. I'd actually like to give my own award for the winner in the best name category. This goes to a paper by researchers from the University of New South Wales and NICTA, an Australian National Information and Communications Technology Research Center. And their paper was called Extended and Unscented Kitchen Sinks. I spent a little bit of time digging into this paper, and it looks like someone else came up with a method called the kitchen sink method, and they extended it and unscented it. Creative. Unfortunately, there were many more papers presented at ICML than we've got an opportunity to cover in this podcast, but I encourage you to take a look at the full list of papers that were accepted, which I'll be including in the show notes, and try to whittle those down to a handful that look interesting and worthy of further exploration. Enjoy. And now to the paper on dueling network architectures for deep reinforcement learning. 
You may recall that we talked about reinforcement learning in show three, when we looked at Andre Karpathy's Deep Reinforcement Learning Pong from Pixels paper. That paper walked us through the basics of reinforcement learning and implemented a simple reinforcement learner in just 130 lines of Python code. This paper proposes a new architecture for deep reinforcement learning called a dueling architecture. One popular approach to tackling reinforcement learning is called Q-learning, and one architecture for Q-learning is called deep Q-networks. Previously, with deep Q-networks, a single stream neural network is used to learn both the environment, aka the states, as well as the best actions to take in each state to win the game. The authors of this paper proposed a dueling architecture, which uses two separate streams called the value and advantage streams, and these streams are used to estimate the states and the actions separately. To help us visualize, the authors described what the model is paying attention to while playing Enduro, an Atari driving game. In the dueling architecture, the value stream is paying attention to the road, while the advantage stream, that's the one that's focused on actions, learns to pay attention only when it needs to. In other words, when there are cars immediately in front of the car that the AI is playing. It turns out that using a dueling architecture like the one described in this paper allows the neural network to learn the correct actions more quickly and efficiently. And when it's combined with other tricks that are commonly used for deep Q networks, the learner is able to best the previous results for the family of Atari games. If you'd like a refresher on deep reinforcement learning, I found a really nice post on the Nirvana blog called Demystifying Deep Reinforcement Learning. I'll be dropping links to this article, as well as all of the papers and articles that I discuss on the podcast, in the show notes, which you'll be able to find on the show's website at http colon slash slash twimlai.com slash six. That's twimlai.com slash the number six. Not all of the research action this week was at ICML. Not to be left out, a team from Google Brain, OpenAI, Berkeley, and Stanford published a new paper called Concrete Problems in AI Safety. You'll recall that in show four, we looked at a paper called Safely Interruptible Agents by researchers at Google DeepMind and MIRI, the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. This latest paper picks up where the previous one left off and details several areas for future research into safe AI. Here are the five problems that they outlined. I'm quoting here from the Google Research blog post on the topic. The first is avoiding negative side effects. Here the question is, how can we ensure that an AI system won't disturb its environment in a negative way while pursuing its goals? For example, a cleaning robot knocking over something because it can clean faster by doing so. The next area is avoiding reward hacking. We talked a little bit about this when we talked about safely interruptible agents. How do we prevent the AI from gaming the reward function? For example, we don't want our cleaning robot to simply cover over messes with materials that it can't see through. The next area is scalable oversight. 
This looks at how can we efficiently ensure that a given AI respects aspects of its objective that are too expensive to be frequently evaluated during training. For example, if an AI system gets human feedback as it performs a task, it needs to use that feedback efficiently because asking too often would be annoying. The next area is safe exploration. How do we ensure that an AI system doesn't make exploratory moves with really negative repercussions? This might be a cleaning robot that we want to experiment with different mopping strategies, but clearly we don't want it to do something destructive like mop our rug or put a wet mop in an electrical outlet. And finally, we want our agents to be robust to distributional shifts. So how do we ensure that our AI recognizes and behaves robustly when it's in an environment that's very different from the environment that it was trained on? For example, behaviors learned for a factory work floor might not be safe enough to use in an office, and we want our AI to be able to recognize that. If you're wondering why so many of these examples had to do with robotic housekeepers, that may have something to do with OpenAI. This week, OpenAI announced the technical goals of that organization, and one of those goals is to build a household robot. Yep, they announced that they're working on building a physical robot to perform basic housework tasks. The first thing that comes to mind for me when I hear this is Rosie from the Jetsons, and the day can't come soon enough. The other objectives that were announced by the OpenAI team were to measure their progress, and specifically, they acknowledged that defining metrics for intelligence is tricky, so they're working on building new metrics that will help them measure how far they've come. They also want to build an agent with useful natural language understanding. This is an agent that's able to perform complex tasks specified only by language and ask for clarification about those tasks if there's any ambiguity. Finally, they want to solve a wide variety of games using a single agent. Whether it's checkers, chess, or go, game playing has historically been an important research area for AI. More recently, and you've noticed this if you've listened to multiple episodes of the podcast, Atari games have been used. The ability for an AI to perform well across the entire suite of Atari games is a good indication of progress being made towards achieving a generalized AI. In applied AI news, researchers at the Cancer Research Institute at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center announced that they've developed an artificial intelligence that achieves near-human performance in diagnosing breast cancer. According to the researchers, they started with hundreds of training slides, presumably from biopsies, for which a pathologist had labeled regions of cancer and regions of normal cells. From those slides, they then extracted millions of small training examples and used a deep learning algorithm to build a computational model to classify them. Then the team identified specific training examples that the computer was having problems with and retrained the computer using greater numbers of the more difficult training examples. In the end, they were able to train a model that was able to achieve 92% accuracy compared to the 96% accuracy of a human pathologist. 
They also reported that the human pathologists working with the AI-powered tools were able to achieve 99.5% accuracy in their diagnoses. And now for business news. Who wouldn't want a magic pony? Well, if you're Twitter CEO and co-founder Jack Dorsey, you get to have your magic pony. Twitter announced this week that it is acquiring Magic Pony Technology. They're an 18-month-old company based out of London that has developed deep learning technology for enhancing images and video taken with mobile devices. Twitter is estimated to be paying about $150 million for the team of 11 and their 20 patents. I wonder if they specified the purchase price in pounds or dollars. That probably makes a lot more difference than they thought it would. Twitter's not the only one busy doing AI deals. This week, research firm CB Insights published data on equity financing deals to startups in artificial intelligence. According to the firm, the number of AI deals financed increased roughly 600% from about 70 in 2011 to nearly 400 in 2015. So far in 2016, over 200 AI-focused companies have raised nearly $1.5 billion in equity financing. Unfortunately, I'm not sure this really means anything at all. If you take a look at the sampling of companies that are mentioned in the article on the CB Insights website, it includes companies in a variety of verticals that don't strike me as particularly AI-focused. As more and more companies include machine learning and analytical technologies into their offerings, using this as a basis for categorizing them as AI companies will be pretty meaningless. If you or your company has technology that allows subject matter experts with no data science experience to create machine learning models, there might be a deal for you at DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. DARPA just announced a solicitation for innovative research proposals in the area of semi-automated discovery of machine learning and statistical models and processing pipelines. According to the FedBizOps.gov site where the solicitation is posted, the proposed research should investigate innovative approaches that enable revolutionary advances in science, devices, or systems. You may recall that on last week's show, when discussing Apple's machine learning and AI announcements from the WWDC conference, I contended that Apple was being left behind in the AI race, in spite of an early start with Siri. Well, I wasn't the only one to think so. This week, Victor Luckerson wrote a great article titled, How Siri Got Left Behind, which appeared in the online publication, The Ringer. Last time, I mentioned that some commentators were apologizing for Apple's lack of a strong AI showing at WWDC by saying that the company was taking its time to get the design right. Well, Victor in his article takes this even one step further, suggesting that this has become a bit of a culture war for Apple. In his words, the kind of company that created something as brilliant as the iPhone isn't necessarily as well suited to win the artificial intelligence race. That requires vast amounts of user data and the share and share-alike ethos of academia, the latter of which Apple isn't particularly known for. 
Victor quotes Pedro Domingos, the University of Washington computer science professor who we've mentioned here on the program before. Pedro, who's also author of the book The Master Algorithm, says, To do well in areas like machine learning and computer vision and speech, these days the biggest obstacle is recruiting people. The talent is extremely scarce. If you're a machine learning person, would you rather go to work for Google, where machine learning is the big deal, or go work for Apple, where in some sense you're going to be subordinate to the designers? Remember the list of companies with accepted research papers at ICML from the beginning of our show? Well, who is missing from that list? That's right, Apple. If you're a machine learning or AI PhD looking to continue working on research that's pushing the field forward, you're probably going to want to look first at one of the companies that's active in the research community. Changing its culture of secrecy and isolation is going to be difficult for Apple, and it may ultimately cause it to miss the transition to intelligent software. Take a look at Victor's article for more on this. We can easily contrast the cultural shifts happening at Apple with those going on at Google, thanks to another great article that posted this week by Stephen Levy over at Backchannel. Stephen's article presents a detailed look at, quote, how Google is remaking itself as a machine learning first company, and it's definitely worth a read. A third really interesting thought piece on Apple, Google, and what I might call the AI culture wars in Silicon Valley comes from Benedict Evans, a partner at venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz. His blog post is titled simply AI, Apple, and Google, and looks at some of these issues from an investor perspective. It's also worth taking a look at. As a side note, you remember that DARPA solicitation I just mentioned? Well, that's how Siri got started. I had forgotten that bit of history, but Victor's article describes how Siri grew out of a DARPA project called Kalo, for Cognitive Agent That Learns and Organizes. If you don't know the Siri backstory, it's definitely worth checking out the article, if only for that. In technology news this week, the Facebook Applied AI Research Team announced TorchNet, an open-source collection of modular boilerplate code, key abstractions, and reference implementations for the popular Torch machine learning framework that can be mixed and matched to speed deep learning development. The included abstractions include packages for datasets, dataset iterators, engines, meters, and logs. Torch has become a popular framework for deep learning since Facebook open-sourced its GPU-optimized deep learning modules in January of last year. But at least one company doesn't want you to get too comfy using GPUs. At the International Supercomputing Conference in Frankfurt, Germany last week, Intel announced the second generation of its Xeon Phi product family aimed at high-performance computing and machine learning workloads. The premium product in this line is a new 72-core version of the processor that will ship in September and will retail for $6,254. Intel hopes these new chips will take some of the limelight away from NVIDIA, which leads the market in GPUs for machine learning. The company has published some initial benchmarks claiming performance gains over GPUs for a number of machine learning workloads. Finally, an interesting win pun intended, for IBM Watson. A story over on Motherboard describes how the Toronto Raptors basketball team planned to use IBM Watson to optimize their performance in Thursday's NBA draft. 
The article itself is pretty fluffy, but according to a commentator over on Hacker News, the Raptors used two specific offerings in the Watson portfolio. Trade-off analytics, which helps people make better decisions while balancing multiple objectives, and tone and sentiment analysis tools, which they use to ascertain which players might be a good cultural fit for the team. And finally, for the hands-on crowd here, it's time to talk projects. We've discussed Google's TensorFlow framework quite a bit on the show, but if you still haven't had a chance to roll up your sleeves and play with it, O'Reilly's got a great post for you called Hello TensorFlow over on their website. Hello TensorFlow is a hands-on intro that starts from first principles and walks you through building and training your first TensorFlow neuron. Do check it out. If you'd like to go further than what Hello TensorFlow has to offer, this week I'd point you in the direction of Stathis Vefeus' great post on implementing character-level deep learning using the Keras deep learning framework. You'll be familiar with character-level deep learning if you looked at Andre Karpathy's post on RNNs, which I linked to in the show for show notes. If you're not, no worries though, because Stathis links to it here. Stathis walks through building a character-level model for predicting movie sentiment using the IMDb movie review database that's available up on Kaggle. If you'd like to get started in Kaggle competitions and you're interested in NLP, natural language processing, this would be a great place to start. Stathis also does a really great job contextualizing the results from current research papers in NLP and includes a lot of great background links in his post. Highly recommended. Speaking of contextualizing and implementing machine learning research, I came across a great site this week called Gitkive. Gitkive seeks to solve the problem of great research papers being published without any code or data available to help in their evaluation. Gitkive provides a link between papers posted on Cornell's popular archive repository and source code and data posted to GitHub, as well as a place for the community to rank and discuss various implementations. Gitkive is spelled G-I-T-X-I-V, and you should check it out. A word of warning, though, due to a bug, the site doesn't work correctly on Chrome right now, and you'll need to use another web browser to access it. Before we wrap up, I wanted to bring a couple of forthcoming books to your attention. This week, Andrew Ng of Stanford and Baidu Research announced a new ebook project called Machine Learning Yearning. The ebook seeks to help practitioners formulate AI implementation strategies and become comfortable answering questions like Should you collect more training data? Should you use end to end deep learning? And How do you deal with your training set not matching your test set? Andrew will be emailing out draft copies of each chapter this summer as they're finished, and he was accepting signups through today. Jump over to his website, and if the form is still posted, It certainly couldn't hurt to sign up. I'm sure the book will be amazing. Next up, I talked a bit about feature engineering in the last show and mentioned how it's a bit of a black art, requiring a lot of intuition and trial and error. Well, O'Reilly Media has a book in the works for next spring that should help. The book, called Mastering Feature Engineering, is being written by Alice Zhang, a Berkeley-trained data scientist with Dato, and it just went into early release. 
meaning you can pay for access to early chapter drafts. The table of contents looks really interesting, and I'm looking forward to reading the book. The premise for both Andrew and Alice's books is that to gain the kind of intuition required to solve real-world machine learning problems usually requires spending multiple years in a graduate program or company. Both of these books seek to help readers leapfrog this process and become more productive more quickly in tackling real-world problems. I encourage you to check them out. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me. And please, please, please keep those tweets and iTunes reviews coming. They're super inspiring and extremely helpful in getting the word out. For the show notes, which contain links to all of the resources I've mentioned on this show and more, please visit https colon slash 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 six. That's T-W-I-M-L-A-I dot com slash the number six. Have a great week and I'll speak to you soon. <laughs>